This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast with Chef Mary Mamaliti. This is a thing with Kelly and company, what you say can and will be used against you for the rest of your life. So that's what happened to me. I didn't even know I was confessing when I said this, but I called it a barbecue machine because that's what my family calls it. And now it is the joke of the year. Uh, you can't say barbecue without thinking machine anymore on our show. Oh, I know. <laughs> We're just huge foodies. Like, it's ridiculous. And one way or another, we will weave in food into every single conversation. <laughs> Stuff like that for us is A, a bonding experience with our contributors, and B, one of the best bonding experiences because it surrounds food. <laughs> That's Ramya Movement, dancer, singer, and radio triple threat at Accessible Media Inc., Ramya and I first met on the set of Menu Matchup on Opposing Teams. Hey, Ramya. How's it going, Mary? It's going. <laughs> when you say Opposing Teams, it sounds like we should be frenemies or something. <laughs> right? And it's com- it's totally not that. Oh, we've come a long way from competing with each other. <laughs> <laughs> and the pleasantries of, oh, congratulations, yes. yes, you won. As I went and I started crying in the corner. Oh, no. For anyone who didn't watch it, which you should have, Ramya won, and I will never look at a quail egg again. Let's get started. Let's dive in. Mm -hmm. Now, you've done some tech work, producing, and hosting on multiple shows at AMI. That's right. What is it? What is it that gave you that itch to get into broadcasting? Uh, well, actually, it's a funny story. So full disclosure, I had done other programs in university. So I went to Ryerson for English, uh, lasted about a year and a half until I said, uh, oh, boy, this is definitely not what I want to do. And then I took some time off school and said, I'm, I'm going to really just think about this and take a break and, and figure out what I want to do. Uh, and my mom, is a huge media person like she's uh you know i'm sri lankan um tamil background and she's very involved in the tamil media community she's done a lot of uh, announcing behind the scenes producing a lot of her own shows and this is back home in sri lanka as well as in canada so because she's so into it and into the performing arts i thought nah, i'm not gonna do it mom's already done it right <laughs> um but so i've stayed clear of that for so long uh, until I realized that maybe I kind of do want to be in it. Um, so I went into Seneca's radio broadcasting program, loved it, lasted the full two years, graduated. It was so much fun and I, I genuinely enjoyed it. And through uh, my internship at Seneca, which was mandatory, I applied to AMI. And that's where I got into the AMI side of things. And now here I am like a year and a bit later, actually exactly a year later. I'm seriously lucky and so blessed because these opportunities are, especially in Toronto, in media, it's, you know, it can get really tough. What's it like co-hosting a live radio show? Oh man, it's, firstly, it's different every day. Uh, You just, and I help produce the show, Um, Jeff and I uh, produce Kelly and Company. So you would think, you know, we go in knowing right we go in knowing all the segments we go in knowing what our people are going to talk about who's coming on uh research 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 whatever you got to do to prep for the show but Mm there is nothing that could really prep you almost in a way um of sitting in that two-hour show because it's just different every day is different every week is different um you kind of get 
a sense of things, but you never really know where conversation is going to turn. You never really know what you're going to get out of um, a specific conversation, what a, a guest is going to come on and, and say or feel or put you in a mindset for. Um, and especially because it's co-hosting. So it's Kelly McDonald and I who co-host the show together. You know, I can never hundred percent know what he's going to say, or he can never know what I'm right. going to say. So <laughs> uh, everything <laughs> is always kind of a surprise or in, and that's one of the best parts I would say about co-hosting because we're all kind of creatures of habit, but I love to live in the moment and kind of take things as they come. And mm-hmm. there's no better opportunity for that than what I, for what, like what I do on a regular basis, which I think is incredible. Okay. So we're going to play a couple of games. Okay. This or that? Okay. No, no, it's gonna be fun. Okay. First point. It's called this or that. The choice is yours. You can get with this or you can get with that. Two options, you choose one. Okay. Remy. Are you always warm or cold? Cold. Baked or fried? Mm, fried. Got it. Fried. Terrible. <laughs> Super salad. Soup. Oh yeah. Chicken breast or thigh? Uh it depends, but probably breast. Okay, hot sauce or barbecue sauce? Oh gosh, hot sauce really, Mary? No, barbecue. <laughs> really, I'm all about the hot sauce. I can't do. I'm only getting back into my Sri Lankan ways and eating spice. <laughs> <laughs> Little steps. Yes, exactly. Reese's Pieces or M and M's? M and M's. Maple syrup or honey? Oh, honey. Now, are you a morning person or night owl? Night owl. Oh gosh. And but I, I love everyone's. Yeah. <laughs> I ask everyone this question. Uh-huh. Do you wash your meat or do you cook it right from the package? Oh my God, we're going to get into it, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So recently, not recently, but lately, I have been cooking it out of the package because of all the back and forth of washing meat and blah, blah, blah. But I got to tell you, my mom always washes her meat. She barely buys packaged meat, first of all. She always buys it, you know, like, from the butcher. Yep. Um, but she's always washing her meat, regardless. If she listens to this podcast and hears me say that I use it out of the package, she would <laughs> freak out. <laughs> <laughs> Just And does she do the lemon, the rubbing of the lemon oh, on it? Oh, yes. Yeah. And all of that. The whole thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, how about you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> I knew you were going to flip this on Yeah, me. no, of course. So for me, you know, way back, I did. And then it occurred to me that everything that I'm rinsing is actually ending up in my sink. Yes, that's the point. Yeah. And realistically, there's no need to rinse it because of the high temperatures that you're cooking it at. Anything that's on it, it's gone. Exactly. You're killing it. Yeah. You were living with your parents. What type of dishes did you, um, did you tend to have or meals? What type? Oh, everything Sri Lankan. My mom is an amazing cook and just the seasoning palettes of Sri Lanka, South India is just incredible. Uh, we, I mean, I don't even know how to say half the things in English, to be honest with you. <laughs> but, oh, say it any way you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my mom has this, you know, like the rack of seasonings that people have. Yes. Hers goes on for decades like it's just she's got a ton of things uh freshly ground this and that and dried this and that and all types of seeds um and powders and curry powders like blends of different things that she will only use for specific dishes like you you know if you're making this fish curry you can only use this blend and that's why um 
it's like everything you taste is different from each other. Like there's no curry that tastes the same. And I would say 90% of our meals are curry based, right? Curry this, curry mm. that. Um, but everything tastes different. And when But they sound flavor packed. So flavor packed. And a flavor that you don't taste in one thing, you will taste in another thing. And not to say that seasoning rules all because there are some dishes that you'll taste where uh, the vegetables and the meat are what's making the dish. Like you don't have to add uh, beyond a certain amount of seasoning for it to really spark up that taste. That's what I was going to ask. Is it like one star of the meal and then everything else accompanies it just to kind of mesh with that star of the meal? Somewhat. So what happens is, and this is a regular meal at my mom's place, she will make uh, most likely a rice, right? And especially if you're talking lunch, you know, some kind of carb. Uh, Mm -hmm. And well, actually, (laughs) all of our meals come with a lot of carb. Uh, But it will come with one kind of main thing. And if there is kind of a star that you're talking about, it will be a meat. So let's say she makes say a shrimp curry, then she'll accompany that with lentils. That's another dish. Um, some kind of vegetable medley, potentially like a stir fried, I don't know, okra or something. We do kind of this thing where, you know how you guys have, or not you guys, but people have like yogurt sauces and things like that. Mm-hmm. They'll make something along those lines. It doesn't have to be a yogurt base, but something you could consider more of a sauce. But that's it. Like it has to be four to five things to be a meal. It can't just be like a rice and a shrimp curry and then call it a day. Uh, when she cooks, she cooks four to five different dishes and they all kind of go together. Mind you, we're not going to eat all of that. <laughs> Europeans in general tend to have bread with every meal. Right. So you're saying that for Sri Lankans, mm-hmm. they have... Rice? Yep. Rice or another carb substitute, which is, you know, probably a flour-based thing. But in North America, you're told, what, a third of your meal should be carbs, Mm -hmm. and then the rest should be meat, veggies. Uh, It's kind of the opposite in Sri Lanka. (laughs) (laughs) So 60 to 70% of your meal is carbs and everything else you just add on for flavor. (laughs) That's it. And then at the end, you sop everything up that's left in the plate with a piece of bread. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we don't actually eat with bread, but we do have meals where it is you're dipping your bread or your um, roti or your dosa into your your flavors. Uh, Mm -hmm. But that that serves as your carb. Okay, rapid fire. Your favorite kitchen gadget. Oh, 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 I can't even think of the name now. Like my ninja. (laughs) The little chopper? Not the little chopper, like the big Vitamix type. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. It's my go-to culinary trend that should disappear already i want to say beets i don't understand mm. the big hype with beets i don't like the yeah. taste of them i can't believe that people will have them in any which way and eh, yeah yeah to me it's just it's really earthy yeah and i just can't have it like beet has such a distinct flavor and people will put it in literally everything now and then mm-hmm. have straight up beet juice as well. And I'm like, gross. Like I get, my mom has made <laughs> several kinds of beet curries that I have passed completely. So <laughs> to, to me, the way I taste it, for some reason, it's just, it's a very distinct flavoring for me. Yeah. It's like grabbing a little bit of dirt from the back yeah. and mixing it with some water. Here it's you go. Good. Drink you this. Smell the dirt <laughs> off the beet. Like, even after it's cooked, so forget it. No, sorry. I know I'm offending tons of people right now, but okay. <laughs> Most common mistakes in the kitchen. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> um, most common mistakes in the kitchen. 
for me, like when I cook with meat, I got to throw out all that, you know, packaging and bones and all this stuff immediately. Uh, sometimes what I do is like I put it in the garbage with everything else and then it just reeks. My mom has thrown away like shrimp shells mm-hmm. and uh, left it for a few hours and then left the house, came back home and thought she had a gas leak and thought, <laughs> oh my God, somebody call 911. I think there's a gas leak in the house. And we're like, what? And uh, it turns out it was just like the odor of the shrimp shell. So never again. That. <laughs> What's your favorite snack? Smart food popcorn. I get that. I get it. Justin Timberlake brought sexy back. What would you bring back? <laughs> oh, no. Um, what would I bring back? What's gone? Oh, you know what I love? Twinkies. Are Twinkies even around anymore? I have no idea. But this is what I mean. It makes me so sad. I would definitely Twinkies. bring back Twinkies. Twinkies. All right. Yeah. I think I've only had Twinkies once in my life. <gasps> yeah. I mean, I'm kind of a Joe Louis girl. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So if you had to describe your cooking style in two words, what would that be? Spontaneous. Um, oh, mystery meat. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Or like, what's in my fridge? I'm starving. Um, <laughs> Surprise! Yes. That's the treating. But also the opposite, kind of calculated. I feel like the both can go really good hand in hand because I'm always taste testing while I'm uh, cooking. I'm constantly stirring. So in those kind of pots where, you know, they say, leave your stove alone go away Mm -hmm. I I would not be good in those scenarios because god I'm opening my lid 24 7 (laughs) (laughs) so if it's supposed to take five minutes to cook Remy's there 20 minutes exactly pretty much that has happened several times you've got five minutes to move into a new kitchen Uh oh and you can only take one item with you what would that be can I take two like they're kind of a pairing All right. Okay, too. it's my knives and my cutting board. And the only reason why I add my cutting board to this is because I've been to other people's homes where I've helped cook and I realized that oh my gosh, it's so important to me um the type of cutting board that I use. And I didn't think that it'd be such a big deal, but because I've now cooked in several different places, I realized that Lord, if the cutting board is not, is not up to my standards or just like the type of cutting board they're using is different than what I'm used to, it can slow me down immensely. So so I'm assuming that this is the cutting board that you did not cut in half, no. the replacement oh. one. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. <laughs> things happen, okay, Mary, that things that we can't even understand. <laughs> it's true. I'm Mary Mammoliti, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Like myself, I mean, I have an eye condition. I have retinitis pigmentosa. Um, do you want to share a little bit about yours? Yeah, absolutely. I have um, a genetic recessive eye condition as well. It's called Lieber's congenital amaurosis, a mouthful, but I had 25 years to memorize it. Um, and it, <laughs> it's basically, I think we fall under the, the retinitis pigmentosa family, the RP family. Um, right. And it affects, you know, a, a different aspects of my vision because it is retinal. So I have a little bit of color loss, uh, some night vision loss. I'm very nearsighted, uh, lack of detail vision. Um, it, it, the list goes on, depth perception, etc. 
uh, but mm-hmm. it is stable. So I've had a lot of time to adjust to where I am in terms of, you know, acceptance of vision loss, uh, accommodations, talking to people, advocacy, etc. cetera. Uh, but in my field, it's really great to work with uh, the people at Accessible Media because a lot of people are aware of working with people, people with vision loss. So we have a ton of different uh, ways to go about accommodating and things like that. I'm just mostly uh, a digital user. Like I use everything digitally, not really a paperwork person. <laughs> so am I. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm very digital, yeah. Exactly. And then I use... Um, you know, accessibility features like reverse contrast. I use a screen reader. I do have some usable vision, so I can uh, use some of that. But a lot of accommodations go into my daily life. I'm a white cane user as well. We were talking about the other day, W. Ross McDonald's School yeah. for the Blind. And you mentioned that you did not attend W. Ross McDonald. No, right. But you've since been involved, you know, there through events at AMI. Mm-hmm. What, what was the difference um, about your experience in mainstream education? In my experience, I was very happy to be part of an integrated school system. I learned um, obviously different things than what I would have if I was at W. Ross or a similar environment, because in Toronto, you also had the option of going to Hollywood, which was kind of like a blind low vision program within an integrated school. Uh, so for me, really? going, yeah, See, I did not know that. Yeah, so that was another option for people, especially at a younger age, because Hollywood, uh, Hollywood's program was only up until grade five. And after that, you would be um, integrated back into a school system or go to W. Ross, whatever you know the case may be. The only kind of blind, low vision specific program that I was a part of was the Toronto District School Board Vision Program. And uh, that basically, you know, professionals would come into your schools to uh, teach you Braille or uh, large print, you know, adaptive technology, uh, mobility, etc. And they would come into your school. And then once in a while, maybe a few times a year, you would go on field trips with other people in the GTA uh, who are blind, low vision. So that's Mm -hmm. the that's the way that I met a lot of blind, low vision people like myself and uh, got to know that side of the world uh, because other than that I, I was surrounded by you know able-bodied sighted people I was most likely the only blind person blind, or sorry low vision person in my school uh, so that had its ups and downs uh, the ups were I really got to advocate for myself and learn about advocacy from a very very young age uh, because you had no choice, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. People didn't know, either didn't know about your vision loss, or in some cases didn't even know you were visually impaired, uh, and then some sometimes didn't know how to help you or what that looked like. So I was always advocating for myself, and I got amazing resources to help with that and prep me for where I am today and, and be confident doing that for myself. Uh, the downs were, I got exempted from things like gym, uh, physical education, sometimes even like family studies courses where people were cooking, sewing, uh, etc. Anything kind of very hands-on if staff felt that they couldn't help me or they didn't know how to help me or they didn't know that I'd be interested in doing something like that because I was very quiet. Um, okay. Yeah. Oh, I find that hard to believe. Yeah. I so, <laughs> <that>. so hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's kind of the downside of growing up in an integrated um, school system. But all in all, I, I would say I'm very happy with how my 
situation turned out. I, back in the day, I didn't complain about it. I didn't really care to get physically active. <laughs> but, yeah. but looking back, because <laughs> um, back, now I do things like I ski and skate and, um, you know, do more physical activities, especially uh, adapted sports. Uh, mm-hmm. So it makes me think like, you know, I could have had a head start, a lot of a head start, but uh, there wasn't that opportunity from where I was standing. Do you do a lot of your own cooking? I do a lot of my own cooking in a sense. So when I'm not eating out, I'm doing a lot of my own cooking. <laughs> right. And um, I, I moved out when I was young. I moved out when I was like 17. And uh, that led me to obviously learn to do a lot of my own cooking. Not that I hadn't delved into the idea of cooking before this because I did have, you know, independent living skills um, lessons where ILS specialists would come in and say, okay, let's, let's see if you want to do some cooking today. So I did learn a little bit of orientation around my mom's kitchen, uh, how to use a stove, oven, potentially, etc. But I never really got into it because, you know, what better way to get into it than to move out, right? <laughs> have your own kitchen. Uh, right. So after I moved out and after I ate out quite a lot and decided that my bank account just can't be in the reds anymore, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I started uh, cooking. And that started, like, I think the first ever thing that I made was just cut up fried chicken, shallow fried chicken on a stove, like chicken breast. And it was very easy because I, I just wanted to learn to use the stove. So I decided to make something where I didn't have to clean the meat, but I love meat. So season that mm-hmm. up and me and my ILS uh, instructor cooked that and that was really good. And then we moved on from that to like spaghetti and meat sauce where it required more, you know, vegetable cutting and things like that. So I've come somewhat of a long way from there, but those were one of my like earliest memories of learning how to cook something on my own. You told me about an interesting little story about uh, cooking with friends around Valentine's Day, was it? Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so what happens... Just, I love this story. <laughs> what happens is like, um, for a while, before I started working full-time, I used to go to the CNIB once in a while, like every few weeks or a couple months, they would have cooking classes themed around different uh, things. So one of them was like, what uh, Valentine's Day meals. And we learned how to cook, oh, what was it? French onion soup, garlic bread, um, some type of pasta, I can't remember now. And it was and a really good dessert, which I can't remember now either. Jeez. Um, <laughs> and uh, we learned how to cook that meal. And I thought, oh, this is great. And it was kind of, you know, what kind of romantic meals you can cook for your significant other, uh, fast meals, whatever. And when I got home, I thought, what significant other? So we, <laughs> me and my friends, a bunch of us girlfriends got together and basically cooked the same meal that I learned at the CNIB. It turned out fantastic. And we had such a romantic time together. It was really nice. So that was my romantic Valentine's Day meal with my girlfriends. I yeah, thought that was the greatest CNIB. story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Ramya, it's that time. It's that time. To give us your kitchen confession. Oh, I'm nervous. Okay. <laughs> For me, what I really struggle with, Mary, is I will want to try a new ingredient, and most of them being big, hard vegetables. Like, <laughs> 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 it 
things with giant skins, thick skins, you know, they're stubborn, I'm stubborn. And uh, one time I brought home for the first time, a butternut squash. And I think I wanted to potentially make a soup with it. And uh, I did one of the worst things you could do with a butternut squash, put it in the fridge. And <laughs> so after putting it in the fridge, I don't know, a day later or whatever, decided, okay, it's time for me to really work with this butternut squash. And I don't know the first thing or last thing of handling a butternut squash and or any squash in general for that matter. And um, I just thought, you know, how hard can this be? Obviously, it's just it seems more difficult than it is. I didn't think to check out a YouTube video or something like that to help myself out. I just thought, whatever, I have big knives. You know, this is going to work out. I start um, slicing and kind of, you know, that kind of sawing motion you could potentially do with my butter. I don't know why. When you said I've got big knives, <laughs> immediately I thought I got big knives and I cannot lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? Let's just make a parody out of this. <laughs> That'll make me feel a lot better. <laughs> Sorry. So please continue. You've got your big knife. Yeah, yeah. So I got my big knife. I don't know how to call my knives either. So it's just one of the bigger ones. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, I start kind of sawing through my butternut squash and realize that this is not working. My knife got stuck in the squash. Um, I'm, now I'm just pulling ridiculously at my knife to separate it from the squash. And then I thought, okay, let's try plan B. And you know when you strike at your vegetable? <laughs> it's kind of more like a <laughs> no. Okay. All right, whatever. So <laughs> I thought like, I'm just going to, you know, punch at it, right? <laughs> and uh, hopefully nobody from, you know, any like safety ILS lessons are listening to this. But I thought, you know, the worst comes to worst, it's going to have to just cut through, pierce through my butternut squash. And um, I do that, it gets a little deeper, but what happened is I didn't slice at the part I was already sawing at, so it just created a new cut in my squash. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is not going anywhere. Now there's like my squash is cracking like an egg into several pieces. <laughs> And what happened was it was still not cut through. So I thought, oh, and I didn't even know what I was getting into. I didn't know what a squash was on the inside. So I was like, <laughs> like what do I do with this? So I pierce in and at this point I would probably been working at my squash for a good 20 minutes, right? And I'm so I'm sweating, I'm anxious. I've decided forget it. It's just it's not gonna happen. But let me just try one more time. I smash into my squash again what happened was the knife um, got stuck. It picked up the squash at the same time. When I pulled up the knife, the squash banged into my cutting board, cut my cutting board in half. And I thought, <laughs> I thought this is it for me. I am never doing squash again. <laughs> and then come on. Did you feel a little badass that you actually broke a cutting board? I mean, now I do. You know, like my squash story was never this genuine. <laughs> when I tell Someone you, can say, you know, yeah. I did this. Yeah, well, I broke a cutting board. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Last game. Uh -huh. Fill in the blanks. My favorite summer dish is blank. My favorite summer dish is quinoa salad some type of chicken quinoa salad mmm that's good I love it the spice I can't live without in my kitchen is blank <sighs> garlic <laughs> yes I love garlic garlic and everything me it's onion oh yeah you know what onion is an essential but I can tell if there's no garlic okay last one mm-hmm 
pineapple is blank on pizza. Disgusting. Terrifying. Yes. Awful. Oh, there's so many words. <laughs> it doesn't belong on pizza. Thank you. It's an anomaly. It should not be there. Yeah, no. Who did this to no. us? Who, no. Who made this a thing? <laughs> Probably going to get a lot of comments on yeah. this one. But no bueno pineapple. But you see, I haven't answered anything faster than I answered that. <laughs> that was quick. Nope, nope, nope. Well, I do want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you for chatting with me today. Honestly, we laughed. I cried. <laughs> From laughter. Uh-huh. <laughs> From laughter. <laughs> it was just so much fun having you on the show. Thank you, Mary. Like, you know, it's been long anticipated for me to be on uh, one of your episodes. So I'm really glad I got to be on it. And thank you so much. So much fun. I'm sweating from laughing. We've reached the end of another show. Be sure to visit kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. I'd like to thank producer and editor Matt Agnew. And I'm Mary Mamaliti. See you at the next episode.